Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Appreciate you boys coming over early to uh, help fix all the drywall in my house from running through the walls after yesterday's game. That was insane. How are your heart rates? I'm old. Even the slightest bit of action gives me a irregular heartbeat. I usually watch games on low volume, like on my computer, and I just kind of, you know, watch it and, uh, you know, just try not to. I only had the away feed last night, or sorry, home feed last night. So, also a reason why I listen to it on, uh, very mm-hmm. quietly. But even like that, even on that low volume, it was chaos. <laughs> it was insane. I aged, which I. I can't afford that at this rate, but I must have aged four years in those last four minutes or five minutes or whatever it was. I had a really good indication of just how intense that game was because Mika usually falls asleep late second, second intermission. So I'll let her just kind of like pass out on the couch with me when there's a Red Wings game on. And she's a six-year-old. So as we're watching every once in a while, she'll get up to go grab that toy or, you know, whatever, just get distracted as a six-year-old does. Yeah. She didn't flinch that whole game, and she did not fall asleep in the second intermission. Mika knows good hockey. She was in it. It's funny because, you know, in previous seasons, it was, oh, the lowly Red Wings beat Tampa Bay, and we'd be happy. We'd be pumped. I don't want to say it was no big deal, but it kind of was like, oh, that doesn't change the picture of the season. It's, ah, oh, ha we beat Tampa Bay, or like we stopped Tampa Bay from all these times. Uh, they beat us at the LCA or in Detroit, or like we finally got a win in Tampa. But this year it was like, beat Tampa Bay, you know, shoot off fireworks, leapfrog them for the divisional seed. Again, it's still December 7th right now as we're recording this. So we know we're not delusional, but it just felt so much more substantial. Like that was probably, first of all, that was the best, most entertaining game of the year for the Red Wings, right? Yes. And that one felt the most consequential in terms of what the Red Wings have been building towards and actually getting a result from it. And Derek alone gets a win against his former team. Yeah, that was... first as a head coach. That was nice to see. That was... Uh, the the Lalone versus Blaschel thing, like, I don't think that was really a narrative. Blaschel's an assistant there, and that's kind of an they awkward situation. essentially switched jobs. Yeah, well, yeah. And it's an awkward situation because they're friends too, right? Max Boltman of The Athletic Detroit actually wrote a really good piece on that. Um, Valley Sports Detroit had a couple segments on it too, but... Uh, just Lalone going home to a city where they really love him there. Like mm-hmm. he was part of multiple championship teams, and uh, yeah, it was cool for him. Anyways, nice to be having these conversations. Does it feel like we're slowly getting closer to uh, maybe being a podcast that covers a playoff team someday? I don't want to put a date on it. Like I'm not talking this year, next year, or like next year, or the year after. I, I'm not making any promises, but the the tone is shifting. It is. I'm old though, Ryan. Nothing is next season's never guaranteed. <laughs> yeah. We Evan, we have to game plan for after Brad uh, Brad croaks. Yeah, it's going to be difficult doing it from the seniors, uh, the assisted living uh, facility. If there's a bunch more games like last night this year, I'm not making it that far. Well, wherever they have a golf course is well where you'll end up. That'd so. be really nice. Yeah. All right, folks, here to talk to you about Detroit Red Wings hockey, the excitement of that game, other news out of hockey town in the world of the NHL. I'm one of your hosts of the Winged Wheel podcast, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. 
On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we are going to be recapping the entire Red Wings vs. Lightning game, everything from Billy Huso's performance uh, to Newsy's uh, return to Tampa Bay, uh, how Jonathan Berggren did, Philip Peronik and Ole Mata putting on a clinic as, as usual, Vasilevsky playing as Vasilevsky does, uh, and everything else in between. Uh, we'll be talking about things like uh, some gear nerd stuff. Brad, you have an opportunity to step in here uh, and, and talk about Hironic stick change. Uh, World Junior updates and where the Red Wings prospects are slotting in. Spoiler, not as much as previous seasons. Uh, some news from across the NHL, some news about Soderblom, a look at the schedule ahead, uh, and whatever else comes up. Before all that, a couple notes for you. The Winged Wheel podcast, Mickey Redmond signature edition flannels, uh, are still available. They are running out day over day over day, uh, but there are still some left, uh, I think, in every size. Just a few left in every size. Uh, they will be there if you order them now before Christmas or the holidays, depending on where you live. Um, a lot of them are getting there just within a few days after shipping out, which happens almost immediately. So these are the Mickey Redmond style Winged Wheel Podcast custom flannels that are a special run. They're a limited edition and a portion of the proceeds, basically as much as we can, uh, will go to benefit the Jamie Daniels Foundation. So it's for a great cause. It's a really cool thing to have. Uh, it's the most popular piece of apparel we've ever produced. And it's a really great way to support not just the show, but more importantly, the Jamie Daniels Foundation in their fight against substance use disorder. Also, Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA is Saturday, April 8th, 2023. That is the fourth edition of this event, the second one this season. What it is, is a teamed up, a partnered event with the Detroit Red Wings, where the Winged Wheel Podcast hosts a live recording of the show before the game. Uh, previous versions have hosted Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond, a special guest. We'll look to have him back. Uh, Ken will be there as well as uh, we're going to try to have some other special guests too. Uh, and some extra little bonuses. We won't spoil what they are. You get a discounted ticket to discounted ticket to the Detroit Red Wings game as well. That's against the Pittsburgh Penguins. A portion of the proceeds from your ticket uh, goes directly to the Jamie Daniels Foundation as well. So not only are you uh, paying less, a portion of that money goes to benefit the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Uh, you are seated in Winged Wheel podcast specific sections. We have the entire gondola booked out. Uh, we have upper bowl and lower bowl depending on where you want to sit. You're sitting with other uh, WWP fans and listeners. And then we always have a post game kind of party, after party, get together, that kind of thing. There's going to be swag, merch, giveaways, prizes, Q&A with, um, with the special guests, all of that. So DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP to get your tickets today. So before the Tampa game on uh, Monday night, I jumped on a, um, a Tampa Bay Lightning show, uh, We the Thunder, and um, we were talking pre-show, and they they said something like, they were asking how the season was going. You were talking about the ups and downs and all that. And the Red Wings were coming off some tough hockey. And uh, they said, oh, yeah, it's been tough. Brandon Hagel, what does he have? Like zero points? And in my head, I was like, really? He has zero points this season? And then he finished his sentence. He's like, in the last week? I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Must be nice. Yeah, that's the difference in, in terms of where Tampa Bay is at, where Detroit is at. It's like three games without a point, and that's notable. How many Red Wings at any given moment are going three games without a point over the past five years? Like that is, if that was newsworthy, these episodes would be four hours long. I think the correct answer here is most. Seriously. Anyhow, uh, what I said to them before that game was if Detroit wins, there are a few things that have to happen, but the foundation of the game 
has to be that Vili Huso comes in and plays as Vili Huso has been for a lot of this year, but it has to be outstanding, especially with Vasilevsky and net across the ice from him. Huso has to be playing out of his mind to stop the talent of Tampa Bay and give Detroit a chance to match them and get something on the board because they weren't going to be a team that was going to uh, get a ton past Vasilevsky or even generate you know those extremely high quality chances against Tampa Bay. Lo and behold, Detroit scores two empty net goals and two goals outside of that. So that held, and it was all on the backs of Vili Husso, a 4-2 Detroit win in the most spectacular game we've seen all season. Big upset. How impactful was that for Detroit? Was it that big of an upset? Uh, usually the team that's ahead in the standings. <laughs> Detroit was lower than them to, st- not, to come into the night. Not as we're speaking. Not as we're speaking, no. <laughs> Detroit uh, Detroit is currently holding the tiebreak because of regulation wins, which by one, and it was against Tampa. So that's the way all, to do it. All things line up. Um, yeah, it was... So for the first couple periods, I was getting mild deja vu from the Toronto and Vegas games, with the difference being that the goaltending was... At an even bigger level. And and not just Huso. Vasilevsky was having a hell of a game as well. So that was one of those games where the goaltending was dictating basically everything. Cause Hot take, Andre Vasilevsky is one of the best goalies in the world. Yes. I know, I know, it's crazy, but... Yeah, he almost kept up with Huso that game. <laughs> so, you know, Rasmussen gets um, a, a breakaway and nails a good shot. And obviously nothing Vasilevsky could do about the Berggren tip. So, like, to that point in the game... Well, not the, to the end of the second period, I should say, not the Berggren goal, but Detroit was controlling play, not by a lot, but I would say they were outplaying Tampa. They were out shooting them. They were really suffocating them through the neutral zone, not giving them a lot of grade A scoring chances in the ones they were getting who so was stacking up to. So I was like, oh, this is fantastic. Uh, this time they have a lead out of it, which they never had against Vegas or Toronto for at least that deep into the game. And I'm like, hey, we talked last episode about if you play this consistently in this style and you catch a good team like Tampa on a bad night, you'll win some games and you'll steal some. And, and that conversation just kept running through my head at the second intermission. And I was so happy. And I'm like, this game is going absolutely according to script and Detroit caught Tampa on an off night. Tampa got really Huso on a heater. The stars are aligning to get a, a really good key win from Tampa. And then the third period happened. Was it 30 shots? 28 shots? Close, close to 30 shots. It was 30 shots. For, for Detroit, so... right? For Detroit, right? <laughs> oh, Evan. <laughs> you're, already, uh, you're already at that assisted living community, huh? Yeah. Yeah, 30 shots by Tampa Bay in the third period on Billy Husso. And then the script flipped to, all right, this isn't Detroit's best game. This is Billy Husso's best game. Because, again, for... The one difference I will say in the first two periods versus the other two games I referenced was there was a little more pace to it. There was a little more action to it, a little more scoring chances. But in a pleasant turn of events, Detroit was keeping up with that. They were also generating chances, which didn't really happen as frequently against Vegas and Toronto. So it was it was good to see that Detroit was still equalizing despite the fact that the pace had picked up a little bit, for lack of a better term. And then, yeah, it all went to hell because Tampa remembered their Tampa. Vili Husa doesn't care, though. 
the let's actually talk about how the game played out just just to detail it. So like you said, Brad, uh, first period was was no scoring. I think Detroit really dominated play and, and maximized their chances. Something that I think they did really well is, you know, they played their game, which is try to disrupt through the center of the ice, generate turnovers and see what offense you can generate from that. It was a perfect storm of Tampa Bay was being super irresponsible with the puck. They had a lot of big turnovers. Uh, Detroit was effectively clogging up the middle and they were turning that into scoring chances at the other end. Uh, they had odd man rushes. They had a breakaway uh, where, where Vasilevsky made an unreal double save on Kubelik. And that was the story of it. It was Vasilevsky was the only reason Detroit walked out of that period without a lead. It was 0-0. And I all, actually, what I was thinking was, oh my God, that was Detroit's best possible period against Tampa Bay. And Vasilevsky kept it even. And then Tampa Bay is going to remember that they're Tampa. Like, what are the chances of getting another 20 like that? So walking away 0-0, it was good for Detroit in what we saw, but on paper, kind of disappointing. And then the second period was the same thing. It was, uh, I don't think, as dominant, but Detroit did control play, generate the chances. Uh, Hronik had, believe it or not, another multi-point game for him. Uh, but he he fired the puck up to Kubli, who had a great pass to find Rasmussen streaking down the center of the ice. And, you know, Rasmussen streaking down the center against Andre Vasilevsky. The obvious outcome of that battle is Rasmussen gets the goal. But credit to, to Rasmussen, all jokes aside, he's been a lot better with his finishing over the last year or so, and, and that gave Detroit the lead. Third period was um, credit to Austin Zarnick on the shift that ended up in the the Bergen goal, the Bergen goal. Like it was, he hounded that puck and he, he retained control and just kept it in the zone and kept the puck alive and gave Detroit an opportunity multiple times. Puck eventually got over to um, Olimata, who gave it to Valeno. Or sorry, Valeno, who gave it to Olimata, fired the shot, and Berggren just had the perfect tip. And Berggren looked fantastic all game. You can just copy and paste the the segment from last episode to this one. He looked dangerous every time the puck was on a stick. He wasn't perfect, and I think Brad, last episode, he did a really good job of highlighting the areas he needs to work on his game. He had like a, maybe some errant passes, or, or he wants to be a little bit more responsible with the puck, but turned it around right after and uh, was was great all over the ice and he was rewarded with that goal. So Detroit in the third period, five minutes in with a 2 nothing lead was outstanding. And I was actually thinking, I didn't say it out loud, but I was thinking, shutout? Will this be a Vili Huso shutout? Because while all of this was happening, Vasilevsky and Huso were having probably the goalie battle of the season in the NHL, at least as far as we know. Uh Steven Stamkos, like you said, Brad, Tampa Bay, remember they're Tampa Bay. And uh, that wasn't the case anymore. So the talent came through for Tampa Bay. The 40 minutes of control that the Red Wings have kind of washed away. And part of the 30 shots on goal was Stamkos with about five-ish minutes left in the third, just over. Uh, put one on the board for Tampa. With an empty net. That's right. and Because Red Wings fans loved to absolutely blast Jeff Blaschel when he would do that down by multiple goals. He brought it to Tampa. And Tampa did it, and it, it worked. <laughs> so they pulled it early, and then Adam Ernie put, did his best Philipronic impression, fired the puck from his own zone, hit the empty net, and I thought, boom, seals it. 3-1 Detroit with three and a half minutes left. Detroit can surely hang on to a couple goals there. Nope. <laughs> Tampa Bay, again, still being Tampa Bay. Braden Point, one of their best players, does the same thing, scores with an empty net with two and a half minutes left. And then with about 30 seconds left on the clock, David Perron uh, from Kopp and Hronik, and actually multi-point game from Kopp as well, 
uh, really sealed it, and Detroit ends up with a 4-2 win. So all of that said, I think the biggest takeaway is that, yeah, control really swung in Tampa Bay's direction by the third period. Yes, if you look at the final results in terms of like game score or, you know, uh, a balance of expected goals or whatever, Tampa probably has a big favor just because of how firmly it swung in their direction in the third period. But I actually don't care. I don't care at all. That was a gutsy win by the Red Wings. They played their game. Everything that they needed to do, they did. Vele Huso showed up. The Red Wings managed what they could against one of the best teams and one of the best goalies on the planet. And they hung on and they got the two points. Was it perfect? No. But there's no way that team on paper was going to have a perfect game against Tampa Bay. To beat better teams, they have to have that performance, and that's what they did. Credit to the Red Wings. Credit to Derek Lalonde. That was gutsy. That was scrappy. And that's exactly how the Red Wings have to win right now. That one felt different to me. Yeah, I don't think Tampa had the greatest game. Um, but, you know, part part of that is because the Red Wings didn't allow them to have a great game. First two periods, Tampa, like you, you said, Ryan, was very pedestrian with the puck. Uh, Red Wings caused a lot of turnovers, and that led to a lot of offense generated for the Red Wings. And then in the third period, Tampa went to maybe the most Jeff Blashill thing of all time, the blender. And I don't think I saw one normal line from them the rest of the game. Must be nice. And they were, yeah, well, yeah. To be able to do that. Yeah, when you have nine top six forwards, it must be nice. Yeah. Um, But they were clearly trying to do anything to to get themselves back in the game, which without Billy Huso in in net for the Red Wings, or for the Wings, that probably would have been a different outcome. Um, But you know what, if, if the team that has all the expected goals and all this and leads and shots were to win every single game, no one would watch sports. So, no. um, you'd run it through a simulator and call it a day. Yeah, exactly. So big character win for the Red Wings. Obviously, probably felt felt amazing for Derek Lalonde to get that win back in Tampa. And you know that that gives the team some confidence. They can hang with the big boys, and um, well, they'll have to put that one to the test once again uh, with the next game. And the next two games. And the next one after that. Yeah. <laughs> How meaningful, like uh, actually in the post-game celebration, you know, we posted the clip of it and someone actually pointed out, I'm sorry, I can't remember who it is. Um, they pointed out that Bugner says to Larkin as the team is celebrating, he, he you can read his lips, he says, get the puck for Newsy. Like the boys knew what that win meant for, for Derek Lalone. And you have to imagine they dug deep and scrapped that one out because they knew how impactful that was for him. You know, for those who might not know, uh, Derek Lalone was an assistant coach at Tampa Bay. He was there for their cup wins, um, really well liked there, and there's a reason he got hired out of there. Uh, it wasn't, you know, there's no animosity with him leaving. That's just the nature of the game. You have a good assistant or associate coach, they're going to get hired elsewhere as a head coach. But for him to return and and get that win with a worse team on paper, with fewer tools to work with than when he was in Tampa Bay, that was... That's huge. That Those kinds of things, they mean a lot to players. They mean a lot to coaches. I know people like to um, almost roboticize them and think that like those things don't necessarily matter, but they do. They, they, they check their stats. They know how they did against their hometown team. They know how they did against their former team. So uh, it just a nice little storyline that the Red Wings know. The Red Wings knew and were, were really aware and, and kind of dug deep and got that win for him. 
And honestly, the fact that they won that game by playing the system that Newsy brought to the Red Wings, you know, how Lalone you know, wants him to play, how he wants him to disrupt down the middle, especially against more talented team teams. It was just kind of like a nice cherry on top to the whole night. And let's be honest, Lalone probably had money on the board for that game. Oh yeah. Thousand yeah. percent. Had to. Five hundred bucks for the winning goal or whatever. Adam Ernie's empty netter. <laughs> Most profitable empty netter he's ever scored. Adam Ernie, man. Also former Tampa Bay Lightning. That's what people forget. Had to have meant a lot for him to to score there as well. Yeah, that that goalie duel was insane. Um, and actually, like we mentioned before, the Detroit Red Wings leapfrog Tampa Bay. So as of right now, December 7th, before any of these games tonight, uh, are in a divisional seed. Toronto versus Detroit, first round of the playoffs? Oh, look, hey, that, I'd love to play in the second round. <laughs> there's no lose for Detroit. You lose against that Toronto team, okay, congratulations. That's a much more talented team. But my God, Steve Dangle is going to hear you and I, Evan, outside his window every single night after a potential win in that playoff series. He'll have to move. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Steve. That would... Let's not get too ahead of ourselves, but my God. <laughs> yeah, we're going to, they're going to clip that. We're going to eat it the next time Toronto completely dumps on Detroit yet again. I feel like Detroit hasn't beat Toronto in like seven years and it hasn't stopped us at all. No, no. Any self awareness? No. Um, let's talk about Vili Huso. That entire performance, first star of the game for good reason. The entire game was one on his back, in all honesty. 46 shots on goal for the Lightning. He stopped 44 of them. Um, 9.57 save percentage coming out of that and like just adds to his portfolio of what he's done this season where you know we use the Vezina joke quite a bit, but he's about as close as you can get in my mind to being a Vesna candidate without being a bona fide Vesna candidate. Is he Connor Hellebuck? No. Is he, you know, any of the other certain Vesna candidates right now? Probably not in a lot of people's minds. But what he's doing for these Red Wings, stealing these points, absolutely dominating these games across from the best, maybe the best goalie on the planet right now, uh, or arguably in Vasilevsky across the ice, like, you couldn't have dreamt of this as a Red Wings fan coming out of the offseason. Well, what we were saying coming out of the offseason was, all right, the Red Wings have two talented goaltenders. Eisenman's hedging his bet. He just needs one of them to grab the, rein, grab the reins. And and Vili Husso has done that emphatically. And make no mistake, the NHL is a big narrative lead, especially when it comes leak, especially when it comes to awards. If the Detroit Red Wings, you know, the lowly Detroit Red Wings make the playoffs this year, he's getting votes. There's no way, because if they come close to the playoffs this year, he's getting votes. And, le- and let's be honest here. Nobody's going to pay attention to Detroit unless they make the playoffs, but that will make people pay attention. And again, let's be honest, the Red Wings aren't making the playoffs unless Vili Husso has a number of performances like this this season. I can't even remember the last time a goalie won the Vesna and didn't make the playoffs. It's It's such a... Team success is so entwined with how good your goaltending is. Oh, and if your team... Hot take, hot take. (laughs) And if your team's not good enough to make the playoffs, then you're probably not giving good defense for your goalie. And you know, oftentimes, yeah, yeah, as defense goes, goalies go, and it's very hard to break out of that mold. And who votes on the Vesna? The NHL general managers. And Ryan, just take a wild guess. What's their favorite stat? 
Wins. Wins. So if Billy Husso plays 55 to 60 games this year, Detroit gets into the playoffs, odds are he has a lot of wins. Kyle anyway. Dubas is not voting for <laughs> Billy Husso. <laughs> hey, Matt Murray's doing great right now. Legit. Matt Murray actually, didn't he, by, what was it, goals saved above expected, he just had the single greatest performance, Matt Murray, that is, last night since that stat started being tracked. Seriously? Yeah, seriously. Against Dallas, that shutout? That shutout against Dallas, apparently he saved five or six above expected last night. Like, hey, we ripped on Toronto for for how stupid that, like how, not stupid, but how big of a risk their goaltending situation was. Hey, sometime, sometimes risks pay off. Just ask Buffalo. I've taken us completely off the rails. I meant to say I want to skate by the Vesna conversation and let's just talk about, I always do this. No, no, I want to talk about who's going to win the Vesna when the final vote comes down to Billy Husso, Matt Murray, <laughs> and Picks and Martin Jones. Like, I just, I just... Can we met? We need to mentally prepare because that's going to need to digest. Can you imagine saying that to someone one year ago, two years ago? And it's still mostly a joke, but the fact it's kind of not a joke, yeah, that would be a head scratcher. Billy Husso, Matt Murray, and Martin Jones, and none of them for the teams they played for last year. Back to the game. Husso is has been lights out. At one point, he made a save that was backwards. I'm not kidding. It was carried. That's what you do when goaltending forward is too easy. <laughs> just you up. have to push yourself somehow. He was like, oh, Tampa's not playing like Tampa right now? Okay, I'll just turn around. The only other time I saw that was Carey Price when he did it and went post to post and saved it with his skate. That was one of the most impressive saves I've seen in my life. And this one was a little bit different. It was like a scramble play and Husso ended up turned around. And it wasn't as clean of a save, but it hit him at least once on his back skate. And Mickey Redmond called it out on, on the broadcast. He was like, hey, whoa. I think that hit off the back of his left or his right skate. And you watch the replay. You're like, yeah, no, that definitely, Huso definitely made a save while staring at the fans five rows off behind the net. So it's when a goalie's feeling it, he's feeling it. And the Red Wings needed really Huso to be at his best that night. That's what they got. Let's talk about uh, Jonathan Berggren a little bit. He's not slowed down. Let's talk about Philip Ronick and Olimata a little bit. They've not slowed down. All the right things, all the players that have been unreal for Detroit, they continued that last game. They had a phenomenal night, like a really, really great game. Um, I love that Berggren, Valeno, Zarnik line, and I love, love, love the Heronic Mata pairing. Just been fin- fantastic for Detroit. When this team gets healthy, they're going to have a lot of interesting decisions to make, and I don't think Berggren's going to be the casualty of them. No, no. We said last episode that Berggren deserves to stay, and until things change... Uh, by all rights, he's done everything he has to do and more. Not only has he done everything he has to do and more to justify staying in the NHL, he's done everything he has to do and more to justify when he has the legs for it and when he works on the smaller parts of his game that come with top six responsibility to move into the top six. I'm not banging the drum to say, you know, play him on the first line, give him 18, 19 minutes a night. I'm not there yet. He's He played, I think, 12 or 13 minutes last night. Uh, and, and that's fine by me. I'm perfectly okay He's with succeeding that. succeeding in his current role. Ease him into it, set him up for success. Very few players figure that out overnight or right when they come into the league. Uh, I really like how Lalone and the uh, management staff or the coaching staff are managing Berggren right now because it's, it's allowing him to grow into the game without shouldering. Oh, I mean, look at the top two lines for the Red Wings and the matchups they got. They got caved last night. 
Like if you look at Lucas Raymond's underlying numbers, I think he was technically the worst player for Detroit all night. Those assignments are brutal. He don't want to be exposing Berggren to that right off the hop. No, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Berggren's playing a sheltered role and he's thriving in it. And that's fine. That's what should happen with 90% of rookies. Not every rookie is going to come in and do what Matty Beniers is doing this year. Not every rookie is going to come in and do what Owen Power is doing this year. That's the way, you know, we got spoiled last year with Raymond Insider, so it, it skewed perception a bit, but rookies generally don't play big roles. And even in those sheltered roles, more often than not, they don't thrive. So, yeah, a knock against Berggren is he's playing a sheltered role, but then the huge positive, he's really thriving in it. It's a small sample size, but if Berggren plays this role all year, and continues roughly the same production for the rest of the year, he's going to get Calder votes. Not like to be a finalist or a winner, but he'll be in the top 10. Those type of stats, his per-game numbers, he would absolutely finish top 10 in Calder voting right now. I mean, he's not, right now, he's not sniffing Beneers, Power, Logan Thompson. Like, I, I get it, but he got a late start. He's playing a sheltered role, but he's thriving, and people will notice eventually. Do I expect him to keep this pace up all year? Absolutely not, no. But while it's happening... Enjoy the hell out of it because much like Soderblom happened, uh, much like happened with Lucas Raymond towards the end of last season, eventually rookies hit that wall way more often than not. And I fully expect Beargren to hit that wall at some point this season. Hopefully it's not for an extended period of time and hopefully he doesn't hit too hard, but he's, he's doing above average for what a rookie normally does, especially in, you know, let's be honest. Joe Valeno and Austin Zarnick aren't exactly offensive powerhouses, yet he's still producing. So it's seriously impressive what he's been able to do. You referenced changes in the lineups, Brad, um, and how that might affect things and that you think Berggren won't be the casualty of that. It's still worth noting that uh, Soderblom traveled with the team, hasn't played yet, didn't slot into the lineup last night. Uh, we mentioned that he was you know, at least a few games away, but it was said... Uh, that there's some optimism that he might be able to play over the weekend. So against Dallas, we might see um, Elmer Soderblom come into the come into the lineup. But they don't actually know if he's going to start in Detroit or whether he's going to go down to Grand Rapids. And they did mention that as a possibility. To me, that kind of signals that unless something comes up in Detroit by way of injury or the lineup is disrupted in some way, someone just starts playing catastrophically poorly he's probably geared towards Grand Rapids, if for anything, uh, if for nothing else, just to kind of get his legs under him. He's missed a lot of hockey and and just to shake off the rust, which I personally agree with. I think that's the right move for Soderblom as of right now. Yeah, there's two ways to look at it. One, a big player coming off an injury, a conditioning stint's never a bad thing. Yeah. Two, who are you pulling out of the lineup right now? That lineup was... (laughs) It's... You know, you could nitpick a couple players and you could say, oh yeah, well, ultimately, what are Adam Ernie and Austin Zarnick's ceilings? And obviously not very high. They're playing their role, they're, they're playing. They're playing all right. They're not playing poorly. Again, if we're having this conversation in March and Adam Ernie and Elmer Soderblom are both firing at all cylinders, okay, yeah, Ernie probably doesn't get my vote then. But coming off an injury... Red Wings are playing well in a tough stretch. Do you really want to throw your rookie back in the middle of this stretch right now? It's already hard enough adjusting to the NHL. It's hard enough coming back from an injury. Let's not forget, Soderblom was on a bit of a cold streak before he got injured. Yeah. He has nothing going for him right now. 
and you want to throw him back in in the middle of the toughest stretch of Detroit season, no, no, thank you. He is a million times served better going to Grand Rapids for at least two, three weeks, getting, you know, his feet back under him, getting back up to pace, getting the feel for it. And then, you know, whenever Detroit's schedule starts to feel normal again, all right, let's reassess how guys are doing in the lineup and who should come up, who should go down, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All right, I want to take a look ahead in the schedule for Detroit, but before we do that, I first want to let you know that this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by NordVPN. Are you missing out on a game or your favorite show because it's not available in your region? Let me introduce NordVPN. Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can watch and browse as if you're elsewhere in the world, making sure you never miss a game and can watch whatever content you'd like. No need to travel across the continent or oceans for your favorite team when NordVPN brings them right to you. With over 5,000 server options, no game or show is out of your reach. Using our special link, nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, you can receive a huge discount on NordVPN's cybersecurity two-year plan, plus four free months. We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted, so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's no risk to you at all with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund, and you can pretend the entire thing never happened. Again, check out our special link, nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, to get your discounted subscription started today. So, we, we highlighted this week for a couple months now as the ringer for the Red Wings, where this was going to be the biggest test of their schedule. You add on the Carolina and the Minnesota games next week. After that is probably when you can start to make some projections of where they're going to land. Out of Tampa Bay, Florida, Dallas. And then let's count Carolina in there as well. That's eight possible points against tough teams, talented teams, teams who you're going to need to beat and take points off of if you want to make yourself serious contenders in the playoff conversation. I honestly believe, I honestly believed coming into that, if they walked away from those four games with four of a possible eight points, they'd be situated okay to keep themselves at least in the conversation. Playoff favorites? No, 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 no. The East is tough. There's a lot, it's a lot more cramped in there. I don't think that the Thanksgiving deadline is going to be as applicable this year, but keep themselves in the conversation. The fact that they were able to get an outright win, two points in regulation against a divisional rival, <laughs> maybe generous to Detroit, but you call it that for now. That's a phenomenal start. If they go one and one and two over their next three games, I am still as a Red Wings fan happy, based on the quality of competition they're going to be playing, the fact that they're on the road for the next two against Florida and Dallas, and Ned uh, Derek Lalonde said Ned is going to be starting one of those games, so you're not having your your starting goalie play. If they can steal another win, that would be outstanding. Anything above a 500 points percentage here, and they're doing phenomenal. They beat Tampa. That's part of the stretch. So, yeah, we got a head start, and that's great. And look how hyped everybody is today after the big win last night. They need to stack points wherever they can. This is not a part of the schedule we thought they'd be able to stack points. So, again, I'm with you. 500 is fine. That is perfectly acceptable. So if they go one and two, great. 
if they go like one, one, and one, that'd be phenomenal. Yeah. Like anything five points or more. And yeah, I think we can then probably start going, all right, let's have the conversation. Our playoffs now, the expectation. We're not there yet. A lot of hockey to be played. I'm still wishy-washy on if the Red Wings are a playoff team, if that should even be the expectation. I don't think... If they're in the if they're in the playoffs all the way until April and they fall out, I still am not calling that the expectation. Yeah, like I said, so there'll be a lot of conversations to be had, but those conversations are not worth having until next week. If they get two more points, that's a very successful road trip given the strength of the teams they're playing. It's, it, that is what it is. If they come away with anything more than that, that's unbelievable. You know what? Even if they end up with three points, I still think they can make up wins in the schedule given, you know, how bad some of the teams are in the division. So uh, before next episode, they have Florida Thursday night, 730 Eastern, uh, and then Saturday, Dallas, 2 p.m. That's a matinee. It's going to be a tough turnaround. I know it's they still have the day off between those two, but uh, if everything holds, as Derek Lalone has said, Ned is going to be starting one of those games. It's been a few episodes now we've been talking about Nedeljkovic. That's his test. Is it a good setup for him? No. Is he primed with all of the ease of an easy team at home with the comforts of you know his own bed the night before, whatever? No. Are the teams, is the team in front of him going to have fresh legs to defend and, and attack with? Nope. That's just the way it, it, it goes, though, and, and that's what he has in front of him. I don't want to be dramatic and say if he fails at that one game, that's it. Like, you know, say goodbye, he's scratched, he's waved, whatever. We're getting close to that point, though. The only person who ultimately knows that is, is Steve Eisman and, and Derek Malone, of course, but um, you have to think that this is a massive opportunity for Ned to climb his way out of the hole and do something uh to, to solidify himself, not to say like, oh, I'm a 1B behind Billy Huso, but to say, yeah, I'm the answer in net as the guy who's going to play 30 games as opposed to Huso's 50-ish. Yeah, but I mean, this is a typical week in the NHL schedule. Like, It's not like they're throwing him in in a back-to-back like they just did for Philly. So there's always, every single game is going to have a couple points that you can make that goes, this is an ideal, that's not ideal, this is an ideal. 90% of games in the NHL in any given season are going to have something like that. So I I am curious to see which game it's going to be and then how they follow because I was thinking about it because we were just kind of looking at the schedule last episode based on strength of schedule. It's like a black and white thing. You know, he'll get one of Florida or Dallas. I don't really care which one it is. If he plays well, that creates some decisions. Um, after how many saves Villy had to make last night, I would think he'd be getting Florida tomorrow. But again, we've been very wrong about Lalone's goaltending decisions before. And then they've got a back-to-back next week, which you would think Nedeljkovic would get in again, with Minnesota being the second half. First half of that back-to-back is his former team, who he put up a shutout against last year. Yeah. So I I could see if he plays well. I could see him getting Carolina next week. I'd be shocked if he didn't get one of those games either way, but maybe they give him Carolina just because he'll be motivated. I don't know. But um, it's not a make-or-break moment, but you could tell the patience is wearing thin. Uh, Fun stat from the Tampa win, actually, and I read this in Max's um, 
observations after the game that he posted on the Athletic was uh, that was the first straight or first four straight uh, road win streak that the Red Wings have had since 2015 2016. Hmm. Nobody's it, surprised. No, but it's <laughs> insane that it's been that long. Uh, there's been a lot made of of equipment and sticks this year. And uh, we actually got a question on Reddit, and there's been a lot made of this in terms of coverage on broadcasts and, and written about it. So I'm going to read the Reddit comment. The person actually deleted their account, so I don't know who they are. But they said, um, a lot of nice things. Uh, Thanks for carrying me through my work days, et cetera, et cetera. I really appreciate that. They said, um, as a huge hockey nerd from Grand Rapids, I was overjoyed to find what I was looking for in your podcast. The Wings are my first love. The Griffins, my second and third. I love hockey sticks, especially pro stock. So I was amazed in uh, an episode where you guys covered both the nerdy side of hockey sticks and Heronix resurgence without mentioning that early this season, he switched from a square toe heel curve, very similar to the PO2 Lidstrom to a P28 like uh, toe curve. Someone even literally mentioned how you won't find old heel curves anymore and hockey players need to adapt. I happen to have several Heronic Pro Stick, uh, Pro Stock sticks because I resisted adapting for a long time and I noticed the change right away. Do you think the stick change has had any effect on his elevated play? A thousand percent it does. It's not the main reason his play is elevated. It's not even a primary reason, but it's not a coincidence his accuracy has been better this year. Um, the advantages of a heel curve and a square toe are very minimal. There's a reason those curves are dying out. It's, it's it feels awful. like a personal attack, but whatever. <laughs> Listen, Ryan, I'm not saying you would have scored more goals if you used a proper curve, but I'm also not, not saying that. I did it for my whole career. I actually used like a traditional curve for a long time. I just had a terrible shot. It's because you got used to it on a heel curve with a square toe. <laughs> Anyways... Yeah, so Heronic this year is, um, they described it on the broadcast, and I haven't actually got a hand, my hands on one of Heronic's new sticks to know for sure. They said it was a Lucas Raymond curve, which I know is very, very close to a P28. So Heronic literally went from one extreme to the other. He went from a heel curve square toe to like one of the biggest stock toe hooks you can get on the market. And his shot looks just as hard as ever. His accuracy is better, and he's a point per game. He's still using the same stick. He's still using the red, the weird res tech thing on his blade. So he hasn't didn't change anything else from what I can tell, other than the curve. And you know the P twenty eight has some, you know, drawbacks, notably on the backhand. But he doesn't seem to use his backhand a whole hell of a lot. So it it makes sense that he would be succeeding with this curve. And I think Cider uses a very similar curve, just with a more flat lie. Hey. Adapt or die. I have to tell that to a million of my customers all the time because I get so many, you know, old school beer leaguers coming in looking for, you know, I'm looking for that big heel curve. Doesn't exist anymore, man. Get on something new. And, you know, I don't know what, why I should say Heronic finally adapted, but it definitely helped that he finally did. You listen to our gear nerd section where Ryan described what he looks like on the ice. <laughs> You guys, and he's you know like, what? I can't be associated with this person. You guys, t- <laughs> you guys took that so far out of hand. I didn't say all. I said was I don't tuck the the tongue of my skates. Wrong. And I I used to do a one side jersey tuck. What did they give you an XL jersey or? Yeah, I was I weighed like a 
buck 15 my whole life until I was like 20 years old. Every jersey on me was an XL jersey. <laughs> you couldn't make them small enough. And I was also like a, a... You also had a heel curve with a square toe. Look, man. You jam it up against the boards. Nothing's coming out of the blue line. Yeah. And then I can't shoot after that. And that's neither here nor yeah, there. Yeah, congrats. But... You have the puck. Now you can't do anything with it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to World Juniors news. Uh, funny year. No one on the Canadian team in terms of Red Wings prospects. In uh, Team Sweden, no Simon Edmondson was not made available. They would have loved to have had him there. He was invited, rejected the invite because he and Grand Rapids in Detroit want him to focus on his game in Grand Rapids. Um, actually, Sean Shapiro, who we've had on the podcast, just wrote on Shapshots, his Substack. um, Talked about Simon Edvinson's start to the season where he, you know, started with COVID and then got food poisoning. So he went, the guy went through all of that. That is, a, that is a horrible back-to-back of illnesses. I cannot imagine what that was like to go through. Um, but obviously doing better now and coming into his own and, and adapting his game to the pro level, um, or at least the pro level in North America. But yeah, no Simon Edvinson over in Grand Rap or over at the World Juniors, uh, gonna stay playing pro over the uh the holidays and the new year so any thoughts on that when was the last time team sweden had no red wings prospects yeah no uh liam dover nielsen yep so that was an omission um it's bizarre i guess it's part of of moving a team through the pipeline and moving your your team you know into being a better spot and competitive at the nhl level it means all of your talent isn't 17 18 years old anymore Yep. It's, um, you know, but for Edmondson specifically, I like the move. Um, we've seen him against competition, his own age, and more often than not, he looks dominant. He, again, didn't look great at the World Juniors uh, in the summer for a lot of the reasons we already laid out. In the brief World Juniors where he was fully healthy last winter, he looked dominant in the couple games he got in. Yeah, I mean, Edvinson's a huge project, and one of the biggest projects is getting him up to professional speed. So if you take him out of professional speed, that's not going to do him a whole hell of a lot of favors at this point. So I totally understand it, and I, I, I agree with it. And, you know, if you read about what Simon has been going through, and not that he's been you know going through horrible stuff, but anytime a guy moves across the world— uh, to start his new life in a place where his family and his friends and everything he's ever known isn't there, it's going to be hard to adapt. And, and um, Ben Simon and Simon Edvinson actually both acknowledged that and they were talking about how maturing and uh, doing all that while competing for a roster spot on the Red Wings and competing for a future roster spot on the Red Wings, that's tough. So I think he's had a very natural progression. Um, so such to say that he is not most Sider where he came in and blew the doors off and is winning the Calder. No, he went down at Grand Rapids and is working through the warts in his game in Grand Rapids and learning how to be more responsible and learning how to... And he talked about elevating his worst games, so his worst game is still decent. Um, and that comes with reducing mistakes, which is... We talk a lot about Simon Edvinson's raw talent is through the roof, but decision-making still has uh, a lot of refinement to come. So, he, you know, that's what he's prioritizing. So that's a lot. Like that's a lot of different angles to come in and try to mature. And you have to think that I don't think too many people are upset that he's not going to the world juniors, but it's, it's a process and disrupting that would be a mistake in my mind. So I'm not surprised, but it, but you know, 
it's a it's a good decision in my mind. As as much as it's not as entertaining for us as Red Wings fans to see all your prospects over there, it's hard to see. No, it makes sense. Like, I don't see how of Simon Edmondson going to the World Juniors helps him at all. Like, he's getting regular time in Grand Rapids. There isn't this weird, you know, f- flux. Like, what are where is he playing right now? Is he going up? Is he going down? Where where is he? Would it be nice to see him play in the World Juniors and dominate? Yes, because everyone would get nice and excited once again. Is it best for him? I just, I don't think so. So I think they made the right decision. Uh, Team USA invited to their camp, Shai Buyam and Red Savage. Uh, pretty expected. I think they both have a really good shot. Um, Red Savage, uh, Rashai Buyam, I think is more or less guaranteed. I shouldn't say guaranteed, but he has a really good chance. And, and Red Savage, I imagine, is going to make a big impact there as well. He's done well in that position before. Yeah, most of the roster projections I've seen for the U.S. team have Red Savage either being the third or fourth line center and Booyam uh, featuring in the top four on the defenseman with likely some power play time. So obviously performance in camp and et cetera is going to determine a lot of that stuff. But it looks like they're they both should get good roles on the team. So, not as notable for Red Wings fans, but still one of my favorite things in hockey is over the holidays to watch the World Juniors. So, we'll look forward to covering that. Okay. Uh, Across the NHL, Shane Wright, his first goal against Montreal. I only wish it happened in the Bell Center. (laughs) That's all I want. It's great to get it at home in front of your home crowd. He wants to be a Seattle Kraken for a long time. It's going to be a great moment for him, but imagine what he would do if he scored that in the Bell Center. That would have been amazing. Hey, you know, you can't get too picky. For him to, for the circumstances to play out the way it did, that he gets it against Montreal in December, is pretty crazy just to get to this point. And I know Seattle's got a lot of interesting decisions with him about the World Juniors and then what to do with him after. But yeah, he basically gets one game in before World Junior uh, camp starts. And he's just like, yeah, I'll just pop back for a hot minute and rip one on Montreal and then dip again. So funny. Rockstar shit. I love it. There's very few prospects outside of Detroit that I'm rooting for harder than Shane Wright. This guy, for for what he was labeled to be, has had just the shittiest path. He's already missed a full season because of COVID and because he was told a bunch of things were going to happen that weren't. And then he gets overanalyzed in his draft year to the point where he falls to fourth. And then he's going through all the bullshit Dave Haxtell has been putting him through this year. Then he goes down on his conditioning stint with Coachella Valley and he finally gets in some regular games and he pops in a bunch of goals. And then he comes back up because the conditioning stint was over and rips one in his first game. Thankfully, he's in the West. So I I can truly root for Shane Wright and not have to feel weird about it. So... It was good to see. I'm happy for him. I hope Seattle stops screwing around with him because I, I, this is one of the few top prospects where I can actually say I want to see him st- stick it to the majority. Yeah, I agree with you. I think there's more to him, and it's not a hard formula to put together. You just laid out exactly why, Brad. He's probably an anomalous prospect. I know a lot has been made of... Uh, he probably dropped to fourth at the combine at the combine where he interviewed with teams because they asked him. They asked him, why didn't you play? Because that's the toughest thing. Like You miss that much hockey in those years. Like Not only are those important years for your development, that's where teams decide whether or not they're going to draft you. 
So if you're not on the ice, like what are they meant to do? So you almost, you can't blame either party. You, you know, Shane Wright made the best decision that he could at the time, thinking that he was going to be able to play junior hockey in North America. Didn't happen. Um, you know what? It just kind of shook out how it is. I don't think there's a, there's a point in pointing fingers at for that part of the timeline. Uh, but yeah, it turned out where I think a quality player that should have gone higher than fourth ended up dropping to fourth. That could still fall apart. There are there are parts to his game and his psyche that people have cited in terms of he's really hard on himself and he has a hard time finding that balance of like beating yourself up to motivate yourself and beating yourself up and all of a sudden you're you're just dejected. You couple that with Seattle seemingly not wanting to play him for however long, like it's a tough spot to be in. Uh, but I think there's that's a that's a package that could explode. Like that's a player that could make a lot of people look stupid or at least three other teams look stupid um yeah it's easy to root for shane right in my mind it's a fun story and you know what seattle hasn't done the vegas yet where they make people hate them so it's still okay to uh to like the seattle kraken in my mind yeah they're they're still the the quirky little expansion team that can and hey they're on an inside track for a playoff spot this year so they it's funny because seattle and new jersey in the off season i wish i would ever stick to my guns around you two assholes but you always bully me off of it because Seattle and New Jersey, I'm like, these are two teams that are going to make the leap and become playoff teams if they just, what, what's the storyline for both of them? Goaltending. Goaltending. And I was like, if they get their goaltending, they're going to do it. And you had reason to believe maybe that could happen for both. No, you didn't. Yes. New Jersey, sure. They got new goaltenders. You were, you were telling me you saw this coming from Martin Jones? Really? Yeah, why not? Really? <laughs> why not? You know who's been terrible this year, Ryan? <laughs> Philip Grubauer. Evan and I weren't wrong. Look. <laughs> Look. Are you guys... And we bully you off your points because you're wrong 95% of the time. And you're mentally weak. <laughs> Don't bully me in my house, Evan. Mel said you're not allowed. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, anyhow, that's, that's Shane Wright. Uh, other NHL news. Actually, you mentioned the playoff picture, Brad. I know we said we wouldn't do this today, but there is actually quite a bit in terms of what's shaking out in the East. The Red Wings are in the divisional spot. Boston is allergic to losing. Uh, so they're first in the Atlantic. Toronto is second. Uh, Detroit holds that third spot in the Metro. New Jersey is one of the best teams in the league, leads the Metro. Carolina right behind them. Uh, I shouldn't say right behind them, but behind them in second place. Pittsburgh currently holds third spot. The Islanders and the Tampa Bay Lightning hold those two wildcard spots with the Rangers, Florida, Montreal, and even Washington, I think, trailing behind them. Uh, Washington is the furthest back at 26 points. Tampa has 31 for that second wildcard spot. So things are still really, really tight in the East. In terms of who falls off here, I, I don't think Montreal will hold. And I don't know that the Islanders will, although they have a, they have their way of making making it work. Yeah, they found the Islanders found their uh, recipe for success this year, and that's have Elia Sorokin be better than Igor Shesterkin was last year. It's much the same as Detroit's. Like, it's not too different. I understand the narratives and, and the way the teams are made up and where they are in their builds are, are different stories, but Detroit's in a divisional seed because of Billy Husso. If Billy Husso was playing like Billy Husso played in the playoffs for St. Louis last year, or if they didn't have him and they could only rely on Nadelkovic, Detroit would probably be. Mm, I would say around where Montreal is right now. We'd be watching a lot of Regina Pats games right now. Oh, we absolutely would because Connor Bedard is doing something else. Yes. In just, the, just like Elias Sorokin. In the West, Winnipeg, probably the most underappreciated team in the league in my mind right now. 
Yeah, because nobody talks about Winnipeg because it's Winnipeg. They don't even have an airport. Favorite running joke. Uh, Dallas in the sec- Dallas in second behind them in the Central, Minnesota in third. In the Pacific, Vegas has their turnaround that a lot of people were anticipating. Seattle, great turnaround for them this season. Uh, second in the Pacific, LA is third. Edmonton and Colorado uh, holding on to those wildcard spots. Colorado has an entire wing of a hospital named after them, not because they donated, but because that's where half their roster is. Have you seen their lineup for tonight? Yeah. It's crazy. Evans, their third uh, third line left winger. We're yeah, not far off here. that right now. Yeah, he is, that team, they just lost McKinnon for what, four weeks? Yeah. They'll be fine. They'll be okay, because it's Colorado. But look at their roster for tonight. Are we sure? I think yeah. everyone will be happy they can have a carb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One carb. Yeah. Yeah, they're, uh, they're hurting. Calgary is, is just outside. Nashville is outside looking in. Vancouver they're only two points out of a wild card spot. They're, the games in hand are different. I understand that. So it's in reality more than two points. But Vancouver's not out of this in my mind. That's because the West is ass. So there's very there's not that many teams truly out of it yet. No, the West like I would say St. Louis down uh, fourth of the non wild card teams is still in it. And then you have to get to San Jose, Arizona, Chicago, and Anaheim to say they're they're definitely out of the picture at this point. But yeah. I would love to see Vancouver make it just so, you know, we were talking about Bruce Boudreaux coaching on the bench while, you know, Alvin and uh, the Vancouver Brass were looking for his replacement up in the owner's box to Bruce Boudreaux coaches that team back into a playoff spot. I think that's just a hysterical narrative and just goes with the chaos that's happening in Vancouver. This would be great, but I'm not talking about the players or the fan base here, but Vancouver is an organization that does not deserve anything nice. I'd rather they make the playoffs and lose in the first round than them miss the playoffs and win the draft lottery. Fair. Well, That's fair. they're going to want to win the draft lottery because they're a hometown boy. Well, then they need to ma- not make the playoffs. <laughs> Which is likely. Connor Bedard, what's his point streak rate now? Like 195 games or something? Is it 27? He's got 27 game point streak and he's got like 60 some odd points in that time. His shot. It's not from this planet. He no. He is he the most I We can't do this. This is technically a prospect profile. We cannot do <laughs> We won't this. get into the finer details. I don't know that Detroit's gonna be talking about Connor Bedard at all this year. We might not be. I'd have to talk about Connor Bedard at work a lot. Cause he's my poster child for everybody uses a stick that's too stiff for them. Connor, Connor Bedard and that crazy shot of his. 70 flex. Okay. That's interesting to know. Yep. His same, shot. same with uh, Marty Furk's record-breaking clapper. Ah. Okay, more Brad, you, the more you know. Brad, you're good at describing deception and changing of shot angles. Talk about what Connor Bedard does with his shots. I'm not even going to talk about deception with Connor Bedard's shot because you know it's coming and you can't stop it. The angle, he he's able to change the angle in his release by like four feet and he's five foot nine five foot ten it doesn't make sense like so he uses a longer stick for someone his size i think he actually uses the same uh he's almost the same height as me and uses almost the same length as me i can't do it he can but because he uses a longer stick for his height and he has that very narrow grip that he can change the he literally starts a foot to the 
left of the defenseman and drags it. And by the time he's releasing it, he's a foot outside of the defenseman's right like side. It's insane. And he can do it with accuracy and power. The only player in the NHL right now that can say they can do that with the consistency that Connor Bedard does is Austin Matthews. It's nuts. Like, physically, I can't explain how he's able to do all those things. I see it. I understand the technique. I see the technique. I know the curve he's using. I know the flex he's using. I know the stick he's using. I see his hand positioning. I see which leg he is or isn't leaning on. He does it from all places, all angles, and I I can't explain how he is able to do it. He is going to be a problem for goalies in the NHL. He's going to be a big problem. He is going to be a guy where if he comes into a team that is going to be bad, which is, you know, predictably that is what's likely to happen unless a team in 11th uh, in the draft lottery order moves up 10 spots. Uh, but he's going to be a guy who is probably going to play on a bad team and win them games just because he decides he can score three goals that night. Or that's at least what should happen. A lot can change in a calendar year. I know that. But I know we talk about prospects. And we talk about the first overall pick every year. And we probably said a lot of the same things about Shane Wright. And we probably said a lot of things, the same things about Alexi Lafreniere. You always stop short of comparing to Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid, the two best draft picks of the generation. Bedard has everything going for him where he is the most likely candidate to join those that duo out of anyone else we've ever seen. No one else has been likely or even where it was not ridiculous to have the conversation. But for me, it's crazy to not compare him to those guys. Will he be better? I would never put money on that because it is such an astronomically low chance. But he's making the conversation happen and that's the difference. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be at McDavid's level because McDavid really truly is the once in a generation type. He's he's Crosby, yeah. Again, the odds dictate always worse than better because that's just the way it works. But there's a very real possibility here that Connor Bedard is better than Austin Matthews. Again, Matthews is in the NHL, doing it in the NHL, has done it in the NHL for a period of time now. So you always bet on the guy who has already done it. But just raw talent tools, yeah. But Dard's in that conversation. And let's not forget, Matthews is a late birthday too, so Bedard's going to get a head start on him for relative to where their career started. All right. Let's jump into overtime uh, on this episode of the Wing Wheel Podcast. We'll take some questions and comments. Overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash Podcast. If you want to join the Dub Dub Club, what do, what do you get access to? Uh, the Patreon-exclusive overtime episodes that we record right after this where Evan leans back in his chair and everyone has a little bit more fun. Uh, you get access to the Winged Wheel Podcast official Discord, which is a blast. Uh, you get automatically entered into all of our giveaways, and there are a lot of Patreon-exclusive giveaways. For example, we are giving away two tickets to every Red Wings home game this season, and the majority of those are going directly to Patreon supporters, so you can go see a Red Wings game just for uh, supporting the show. And most importantly, that's how this show happens. This show is able to do what it does uh, because of our Patreon supporters. We are able to fundraise for the Jamie Daniels Foundation. We're able to host Wing Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. We're able to do our, our Mickey Redmond signature flannels all because of our patrons. So uh, we can't say thank you enough for the support. Patreon.com slash Wing Wheel Podcast to join the Dub Dub Club. All right, Hockey Town Racing Academy says, if he keeps up this pace, does Ronick get Norris votes? Evolving Hockey had him in their model as a finalist. Yeah, he was one of the three finalists. It was him, Adam Fox, and... Eric Carlson. Eric Carlson. 
so short answer, no. Long answer, because I don't think there's a chance he really truly keeps this up all season, right? If he does this all season, he absolutely is getting Norris votes. But if he does this all season, I'm going out and buying lottery tickets. Like that, I'm not saying it's impossible, but everything we've seen so far has been like defying all probability. So I would certainly love to see it happen, and I think it could keep happening, but I don't know that I can bet on it because what rationale do I have other than that it's a lot of fun? <laughs> yeah, career, yeah, career half a point per game defenseman jumps up to a point per game. Maybe that square toe really was hindering me <laughs> in my junior career. <laughs> Could I see Philip Ronick finishing around 60 points this year? Yeah, absolutely. And with the start he's had, I'd say that's almost likely because I don't think he's going to fall off that far. I, I do think Philip Ronick has really taken a step as a player this year. So if he's always finishing around 40 to 45 points, I do expect him to finish ahead of that this year. 80, or, or which is around where he's on pace for right now? Probably not. Uh, okay, two questions I'm going to combine here. First one from Bertimzi says, what do you guys see happening to Zadina once he's healthy now that Berggren is performing so solidly since his call-up? And Cody Savonen says, "Who? what do you think Zadina could get uh, for trade value at this time? I can't imagine that it would be significant. However, he does have upside with a good contract. I just don't see him getting back in the lineup in a prominent role with Berggren playing so well. Yeah, you can't pull Berggren out of the lineup for Zadina right now. You can't. You can't justify it. That being said, the Red Wings won't be healthy because how could they be? They never are. Um, So there's probably going to be a spot for Zadina somewhere. Um, What does he get in trade right now? Mid-round pick or another change of scenery uh, project? He's still a month away. In my mind, you have to see, you know, has, has does someone have a, a, a brutal injury? Is Fabry up to speed? Is um, Has Sunquist for some reason lost his game? And I'm not saying he's going to, but a lot's going to change. So Zadina has to kind of bank on that happening to slot in the lineup with no issues. But I do think he's going to have some trouble finding a spot. And yeah, in terms of trade value... The team would have had to have really given up on him to trade him right now because the value's at the floor. There's no points this year. Like there's nothing to go off of. You can go potential, but then that's a reclamation project, and those don't exactly sell at top dollar. So ask Steve Eisman. That's where he likes to shop, is the bargain bin. Um okay. This is a a this is an important one. Mark Burnham says, I looked at Brad's elite prospects page the other day and realized I'm a few months older than him. Am I dead? No, Mark, it's important to remember that when Evan and I talk about Brad's age, it only applies to him. You could be three times Brad Brad's age and still be a spry young man or woman, but Brad is Brad is who the crypt keeper looks up to. Like Brad is of dust and bone, apocalyptic. There's no tendons or joints left on his body. He's just kind of this weekend at Bernie's existence yep. that annoys Evan and I. Wildcat Dallas Drake says uh Tampa had 30-ish shots in the third period and dominated the play. What changed from the first two periods that we couldn't maintain the play? I was listening on the radio. Uh, thank God that Huso was up to the task of being bombarded steadily. Otherwise, that would have been a thir- typical third period collapse. Do you want the pessimistic or the optimistic answer? Give us No, give us the honest answer. Tampa woke up. Tampa did not play well the first two periods. Detroit kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit and coupled that with, you know, we made the joke, Tampa remembered their Tampa, but no, that's literally what happened. Tampa woke up, and on paper, when both teams are clicking, Tampa is still a significantly better team than the Red Wings. 
And when they decided to play like that, this was the extreme end of what you will get. Yes, Tampa woke up. I think it boils down to Tampa is one of those teams that can transcend whatever is ailing them that game. They are that talented. They can flip the script in a way where some teams might take weeks to do it. But I do think the Red Wings did all that could reasonably be expected of them. Yes, that's kind of the point I was making. Tampa is a much better team. Yeah. Detroit did everything they could to to get to where they did that game. Yeah, like it's... Like I said, the reason I, I'm impressed with Detroit's consistency this year and why we've had the conversation, they're going to lose to the Torontos and the Vegases of the world and beat the you know Columbuses of the world, is because if you are that consistent, you're going to catch a good team on a bad night. And that's what happened with Detroit and Tampa for the first two periods. Tampa's lucky Vasilevsky didn't have an off night, or else oh, that, that could, game could have got worse. But Game could have been 4 nothing by the third. Tampa played two really bad periods, and Detroit played basically exactly as they've been playing the last few weeks. And it's exactly what we said. They caught Tampa on an off night for two periods, capitalized, got a lead, and then held on for dear life. Uh, ben Barron says, Howdy, fellas. Uh, thoughts on the potential trading uh, Perron or and Kubelik at the deadline. I don't particularly want to trade either, and even if this team is in a playoff spot, I feel like there's some desperate GMs who would give a king's ransom that Stevie can't turn down for a very solid middle six winger and Kubelik and a known playoff performer and Nazem Kadri head taker for GMs in the West in Peron. Keep up the great work. So here's the thing about the trade deadline that most people, us included, won't talk about because you don't see it in stats or paper. If the Red Wings are hovering around a playoff spot come the trade deadline, Perron and Kubelik are playing well. Yes, they would get a very good return at the trade deadline. A very a very good return at the trade deadline. But if that team is, let's say, holding on to a wild card spot at that time and you sell off two of your best players, the message that sends to the rest of the locker room would be devastating. Saying, yeah, you guys are playing great, but we still don't believe in you, so... We're getting rid of we're getting rid of two of your leaders. It sucks, but you know stuff like that are why guys like Larkin wouldn't resign. Like that would be a huge red flag to a guy like Larkin. And as easy it is to say, why wouldn't we trade them? We'd get two first round picks. We'd get like probably some other really good sweeteners. That would crush the locker room. So the guys who are going to be here for a while would remember that for a long time. And two eventually you get to a point in a rebuild, you can't go backwards. You can't. The Red Wings are very, very close to that point right now. The only reason we have those conversations about Bertuzzi is Bertuzzi's too good to lose for nothing unless you're winning a Stanley Cup. And I think even players in the dressing room would understand that. Kubelik and Perron are both signed for next year. So not only would you be sending a shitty message saying, yeah, we're writing off the rest of this season, the players probably take that as we're writing off next season too. Yeah. It's a, it's so much more complicated than just, it's what you said earlier this episode, Evan. It's not, this game isn't won on the stat sheet or expected goals. Like building a team is more than just building a complement of guys who, who are on paper are the better team every night. No, it's a, it's a compliment, compliment of guys who are buying into a system and are of the right mentality. Look at Ryan O'Reilly at his lowest points in Buffalo versus Ryan O'Reilly who won the cup in St. Louis. He was very open about mentally where he was at about the game of hockey. And a lot of that was, you know, the mentality of the team that he was on. These guys have to buy in. 
tell me this this win against Tampa Bay isn't more important than any other win against Tampa Bay, barring the playoff series they played against them seven years ago or however long it was. Practically this entire episode is about one single regulation win in December against Tampa Bay. If if the Wings went out and won that game and it was a no question we're going to sell everyone at the deadline, oh yeah, that, the rug would be pulled out from beneath them. There's like the stomach would fall through the floor of whatever players left on the team. So it's not impossible for sure. If there's a, a GM who wants to do something stupid, like players aren't dumb. Like you said, Brad, sometimes it's the Bertuzzi scenario. Sometimes it's a GM offering like multiple first for a mid thirties per on. And then they're like, Oh, well, Stevie couldn't say no to that. But in terms of just selling them for whatever, I think the Red Wings are past that point for most of their guys. Uh, last question we'll take here is from Venom it says, Hey guys, hope you're well. Uh, first question is, when do we start to worry about Larkin, the Larkin contract? And secondly, is the most realistic thing for us at the deadline to do is just move Bertuzzi and stand pat and let our team develop? Yes, and yes to the second question. And for the first question, uh, we're getting there. I'm already worried. We're, we're getting there. I, I think preseason, I said New Year's. Was How when dumb I, are you going to look with that reverse retro Larkin jersey <laughs> if he doesn't resign? You know what? You had the choice too, and you were torn. I'll be so annoyed if you if you dodge that jinx <laughs> off a coin flip. That would that would be the most Evan shit to happen ever. <laughs> like nothing bad happens to this guy. Like just narrowly dodges having like the curse over his head on the podcast. Um, I was talking to the Tampa Bay guys, and they were saying like, you know, not only is does Stevie have a history of leaving it down to the wire? You know, Kucherov, Stamkos, whatever. He also notoriously doesn't care to negotiate in the middle of the season. I don't think it applies the same way because he, he probably didn't want to negotiate in the middle of the Tampa Bay season because they won a lot of games. <laughs> uh, with Detroit, it's a little a bit of a different scenario, but just knowing that that's the way he operates, there are nerves just coming with how long you know you have to wait if the contract is coming, Right. So even if you believe the contract is coming, and I still do, that's still to camp them in, it's still it's still probably not the soon. The clock keeps ticking. We're a few months, what, four months away from the trade deadline? Three months away from the trade deadline, actually? Like, that's, uh, that's nerve-wracking. You can't trade Larkin the same way you can trade Bertuzzi. And it is the best thing for Detroit right now to trade Bertuzzi and Stan Pat. I mean, yeah, unless Bertuzzi wants to come down on money and term or unless a lot changes in terms of how he comes back and plays on this team. There are a lot of big question marks. And for such a positive season for Detroit, that is still going to dictate the ultimate result of this year is what happens with those two guys and what Eisenman does with those two assets. So I wish I had your composure, Brad. Does that come with having kids? No, I've always kind of been this way. Evan's the most composed of us three. I don't even want to say I have the least amount of energy because I'm not starting that conversation. <laughs> hey, you're going to be able to recharge soon, though. You're going on vacation. God bless. Yeah. To the... To the Grand Canyon. Yep. We're doing Grand Canyon, a few other hikes. Going to eat great food. Going to get a little golfing in. We're going to Top Golf. I convinced Catherine to do that. So it's not real golfing. It's like Boston pizza bowling, basically. Oh, so you're not bringing your clubs? God, no. This is a pre-scout for the boys trip to go golfing. <laughs> that we're invited on. Well, you better start golfing. Better get the dust off the golf clubs you bought this year. No, they got they got dirt on them still. 
from my, you or the previous owner? No, from me. For from the two rounds I played with them. Yeah, that's okay. You're you're about ready to go and play at a play two rounds a day for a week. Oh my god, my body would. I wouldn't make it three uh, days. Uh, Airbnb with a hot tub mandatory every single time. Hundred percent. We we do it now because it leaves you a broken man. Otherwise, <laughs> I feel like I could do that trip physically. Mentally, I'd snap my clubs by the third day. Oh, yeah. There's no chance that I won't get so angry with how bad I'm playing. We do turn into a bit of a support group when it's day five of seven and like it's raining and we're like, what are we doing here? (laughs) What the fuck is wrong with us? But at that point, you're just in too deep. Yeah, we're in too deep. We've made a commitment to ourselves and one another to get through it. And uh, we have some, that's when some of the best times are had when you don't even want to be out there, but you're just pushing each other through it. Anyways, yes, I'm going to do some relaxation. Good. All right, folks, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. We're going to be back with you on Sunday, uh, which will be after games against Florida and Dallas. So that's either going to be a very, very happy episode or, uh, you know, feet are going to be touching the ground again. Uh, anyhow, thank you all so much for tuning in. Do check out DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP if you want to uh, get your tickets first to uh Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings and wingedwheelpodcast.com slash shop to get your uh, signature Mickey Redmond style flannel. We'd like to thank our sponsors of this episode, NordVPN, uh, as well as all of our listeners, uh, new and old. Uh, we really appreciate you tuning in. All of our Patreon supporters, our name level sponsors on Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefur, Armchair GM slash Genius, Nick Perks, Terry Driver of the number 69, Crying Ryan, Hannes Banana, Simon Jamathong, Glenn Brabham, Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee, Brandon M., Carl Brutanen and Aluski, uh, Chimmy, Chris Ball, Chris P., Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Red Hot Ronick, Hassam Al Qasem, It's Rude to Be on Your Phone While I'm Doing This. Jake Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joseph Berry, <laughs> Kalen Wood, Kevin James. He got both of you. Yep. King Tone, Las Ensaladas Picantes. I looked that up. That means spicy salad. Ooh. Marcus, Matt McKay, Delkovich, goalie number one, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Send It Seawolf, happy birthday. Uh, the Podcasting Couch, Venom, Worse Ryan, Zachary Rogers, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, number one Detroit Red Guys fan, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landiscog, Ben Barron, Brad Simmons, uh, Brian Vasha, Connor Leighton, Darren Fick, Philip Zadiz Nuts, Heronix Handlebar, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, JM Rhapsody, John Evans, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Logan Burgos, Matt Keeler, Matt S., Loyal Soldier of the Cheesebag Army, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Overload the Slot, 60% of the time it works every time, Thick Rick, and Aaron Hudson. Thank you all so much. Talk to you Sunday. Enjoy the Tampa win in the meantime. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.